0: Now, as we uh, uh, get ready to dig into God's Word, I want to challenge you some more, and encourage you to take out your Bibles and turn with me uh, to the book of Ephesians. Uh, And I want to remind you, if you don't have a Bible of your own and need one, see me after the service, and we'll be glad to give you one as we really uh, believe everyone today needs to have their own copy of God's Word. Now, we're making our way through the book of Ephesians in this series called Grace Made Visible. And we will be in chapter 3 today, and we're going to look at verses 14 through 21. And if I'm a realist, here's what I know. I, I know that some of you are going to be really excited when we get to chapter 4 next week. All right? And here's the reason. There will be a change in chapter 4 where Paul moves from a more theological and philosophical discussion to very practical instruction. You see, so far as we've been laying the groundwork in Ephesians, Paul has been laying, laying the foundation for our faith. He has discussed about going from death to life. He has discussed how somewhere far from God and they've been brought near through faith in Jesus. He spoke about our spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms and our inheritance that is to come. And these topics are crucial to our faith, and I hope that you've grasped what they have meant for your life. However, they are still more theological, all right? And and, and so we've tried to apply those practically at times, and so I've hoped you've taken those theological truths and apply them to their life because they do affect you practically. But next week, we will clearly move to a more practical application of these truths to our lives. I point this out because today, as we dig into our text I think some of you are going to leave here today wanting, all right? And I say that because, again, many people are comfortable with being given three action points and then you're good to go. In other words, I mean, give me three steps to a better life, right? And I'll go out and I'll try to try those three steps and see if I can have a better life. And that's really what you want to leave here today, right? But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, that's not what you're going to get today. You're not going to get that from me. In fact, in today's text, it's not about what you can do for God, but wholly about what God can do for you. It's all this. It's not going to be what you do. It's all about what God can do. If we look back at verse 13, Paul, uh, after writing about how God had made the mystery known to him and how the church was to make this manifold wisdom of God known, he says this in verse 13. He says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. You see, in week number one of this series, I made note about how Paul had, had a long relationship with the believers in Ephesus. He, we went back to the book of Acts and saw how God had moved in Ephesus and noted that Paul had a great relationship with the Ephesian believers and that he cared for them deeply. I think it is safe to say that the believers felt the same way. In fact, we could go back to Acts chapter 20 and we can read how when Paul is ready or he's preparing to leave the Ephesians there and go on about his missionary work, the elders prayed for him. And during that prayer, there was much weeping and they were weeping not because of joy of his departure, because they were deeply saddened to see Paul go. They didn't want him to leave. And so maybe as these believers had heard that Paul, this person that they loved and cared so much about, had heard of his situation of being in jail for his faith, maybe it had discouraged them a little bit. Maybe simply the fact that Paul was suffering was discouraging, but possibly even looking at their own lives and considering what faith might mean for them it overwhelm them. Maybe it was discouraging for them to think, listen, if we keep believing in this Jesus that Paul had told us about, maybe we'll end up in prison." Anybody here today ever get excited about thinking that if I believe in Jesus, I'm going to go to prison? No? So maybe that was their situation. Whatever the case was, there was something, all right, in there that it discouraged them because here's what I know. When things don't go the way we think they should or they don't go just right, here's what happens. We have this tendency to get discouraged, even as believers, do we not? That's possibly where these Ephesians found themselves and Paul encouraged them not to lose heart. Now, what Paul does next, though, is very important. He offers up a prayer for them. Now, this is not the first prayer that we've looked at. In, in fact, in just three chapters, we've seen Paul offer up multiple prayers for the Ephesians. Maybe that reminds us of the, of the importance of prayer in our life, that it's, it's got to be a foundation to who we are. And so Paul offers up another prayer to the Ephesians. Now, with that said, look at how this prayer begins. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, a side note this morning before I dig in is that Paul said he bowed his knees before the Father, and that shows the earnestness of this prayer. The normal posture for prayer in Paul's time was not kneeling, it was standing, all right? And so the fact that he got on his knees, he understood, I'm offering up an earnest prayer for these Ephesians. He says, he's, I, I got to pray, my heart's burdened, and so I'm praying deeply for them. And as he prayed, he prayed that God would work according to the riches of his glory. Now, that alone should tell us that Paul was asking God to do something great because the riches of his glory are endless, right? Th- think about this. Your riches and my riches are limited, are they not? If you're not limited, introduce yourself to me afterwards. I'm going to talk to you, okay? All right? All right? Uh, and the riches of his, are, listen, they're not even monetary, as we might have this tendency to think when we hear the word riches. What God offers to us goes far beyond material things. And they're, they're, yeah, listen, they're, they're inexhaustible, all right? And so out of these riches, Paul was asking that these Ephesians believers would be strengthened in their inner being by the Spirit, all right? Think about this. To help you see this point I've made a few moments ago. The verb translated here in the Greek as to be strengthened is in the passive voice. Here's what that means. If you say, what's it mean? It's in the passive voice in the Greek. It means that in this case, the subject is acted upon. All right. This isn't Paul praying that the Ephesians would strengthen themselves, but that God all right, would work in their lives to strengthen them. Paul knew that what these believers needed was not going to be found in their effort or their power, but only in something that God could do. The strength that he is praying for specifically is strength in their inner being, that God would strengthen them internally. Now, I don't think I can fully explain what this means other than to say this. Paul wants these believers to be the strengthened in the core of who they are. He does this because he knows how important the inner man is to all aspects of our life. You know, when you think about your fears, when you think about your insecurities... When you think about your sense of hopelessness, I mean, when you think about your attitudes toward life or when you think about the things that you value, when you think about your motivations and the like, where do all those things start? In the inner being, right? They start inside. They, they start at the core of who you are and then they become displayed on the way you live your life you lay in bed at night worried about what will happen tomorrow and your worries are not so much right, about what is going on around you as much as what's going on inside of you. All right, When you wake up in the morning and you look in your mirror and you don't like what you see in the mirror, it's not so much about what is in the mirror rather than what is inside of you. When you have a bad interaction with someone and you respond incorrectly, it's not so much about what the other person did as it is about what is inside of you. When you think about the things you did or didn't do this week, it's not so much about the circumstances of the week as it is what is inside of you. I hope you get what I am saying here because what is at the core of our inner being is what determines much about what happens around us. What is in us determines much about what we say or what we do and what we experience. What Paul is praying is that God would so indwell these believers with his spirit that Christ would take up residence in their lives so fully that lives were transformed not by their own strength, but by his. We should also note that the word Paul used here, translated as dwell, indicated a permanent residency, not a temporary stay. He didn't pray that God would rent a space in our heart and then move on. It was that there would be this permanent and complete indwelling that changes us to be like Christ. Chuck Swindoll stated it this way, the more we keep Christ at the center of our lives, letting him shape our attitudes, values, choices, decisions, and actions, the more we will be like him. And that is so true. We know that God's Word teaches us that when one becomes a believer, that that person receives the Holy Spirit. However, there's also this sense that the Spirit dwells in degrees, and Paul's prayer is that a believer would be strengthened by his Spirit in a deepening degree, that through our faith, all right, that through our faith, not our effort, we would experience the strength of the Spirit more and more with each passing day, a strength that deals with our prejudice that deals with our insecurities, that deals with our bad attitudes, that motivates us to do good and so much more. He is praying that believers be completely controlled by the Spirit. He is praying that God would continue to work in the lives of believers to make them more and more like him, including, listen, every believer that's listening to me today. That's his prayer for you. But that is not all Paul prays. Look at what he says next at the end of verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Here again, he prays, all right, that we would be rooted and grounded in love. Again, these two verbs that are in the Greek are in the passive voice. So again, this is something that is done to them, not something they do. Paul uses an agricultural term and then he uses an architectural term. And when I think about rooted, I get the image of a tree that has roots that run deep for nourishment. Now, in the last number of years, Kim and I have planted several trees around our house. Let me tell you one thing that we have never done. We have never taken a tree and set it on top of the ground and said, grow. Never once have we ever done that. Now, if we have done that, you know what would have happened, right? We'd have set that tree on the ground and said, grow, and it would have Absolutely, right? Because its roots would not have run deep. Instead, what we did is we dug deep holes, all right, Deep enough for the roots where they would be firmly in the ground so that after being covered, they would quickly be able to spread and become rooted so that they would get their nourishment they need and thrive. You see, Paul wanted these believers to be rooted in love. And I would take this to mean that they are first connected to the love of God. All right? Think back to chapter 2 when Paul said this. He said, but God being rich in mercy because... Of the great love which which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Look at this. A a person's life really begins, hear me, with the love of God. If God didn't love us, we would all still be dead in our sins. No hope, no life. What Paul, I am sure, wanted is believers to stay connected, to stay rooted in that love. Because if one doesn't stay connected to the love of God, then life fades. If you are a believer this morning, think about how important it is for you to stay rooted in God's love. I mean, if you forget God's love, what happens to you? What happens? I mean, you get overwhelmed, right? You you may even lose perspective on your own worth. You can feel lifeless again when you're not grounded in the love of God, rooted in that love of God. Paul surely wanted these believers to never lose sight of what God had done for them so that they would continually draw strength from the God who loved them and gave them life. Right, when he said he wanted them grounded in love, I said this is more of an architectural term, so think in this mind, foundation. That the foundation of their life needed to be love. It might sound a little cliche, but in our life, everything should begin with love. All right, if people were to ask to sum up your life, there would be no greater compliment than to say love. You were known for love and that you operated by love. Now, when I consider these two words, I think in terms of the vertical element, To where we're rooted keeps me attached to God, who is my source of love. But then that grounded attaches me to others because I build my life on love, which affects the way I deal with others. And it's important again to remember that being rooted and grounded is something that God has to do in a person's life. Because if we're all honest, loving the way God wants is not something I can do on my own. Right? I have to have God working supernaturally in life to love as he wants I have to have God work in my life, and my foundation in my life is love, especially when I read in His Word and He says, I'm to love my enemies. That's not naturally me. Maybe you're good at that. I'm not so good at that. Okay? Okay? When I see that, I have to look and say, okay, God, if I'm going to love the way you want and if I'm going to have my life on that foundation, here's what I need. I need your supernatural love to work in my life because I'm not going to love that way unless you work. And so Paul is praying, God, I want you to root them and I want you to ground them in that love. Make that love possible. Indeed, I do think it's a prayer we need in our day, all right? Because if not, you don't, at least I do, all right? So God, root us, ground us in this love. Now, after praying for the people to be rooted and grounded in love, Paul continues and prays this, may have strengthened to to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul's prayer was that the believers would comprehend and know the greatness of God's love. He wanted these believers to understand the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's love. I hope in that statement you first grasp that this is a big prayer. Is that a big prayer? Yeah. God's love is so great, it's difficult to understand. In some ways, impossible to understand. That's why Paul is praying for us to have strength. We will not be able to grasp it on our own. We need God's strength working in our lives. If we break down what he is asking, I'm sure we will find various takes on what Paul is asking in this prayer, but let's consider what he has shared at this point to give us some insight. When Paul says the breadth of God's love, could it be... That this would be an understanding that God's love is broad enough to cover all of humanity. All right. Maybe this is Paul's prayer for believers to understand that God's love does reach to all nations and all people everywhere. This is truly something we need to remember because if we accept what Paul said last week about God's mystery being revealed, meaning that the gospel is not just for the Jews, but also for Gentiles. We forget sometimes. All right. That this includes all people. We don't have a problem including us as Gentiles because we want to be included, right? But we might struggle to think about Iranians being included or Arabs being included. Maybe we have a difficulty including Russians or Chinese. Why? Because we often have our own built-in prejudices for whatever reason, especially with those who we've had conflict with, and then we want to exclude people based on our prejudices. God would want us to comprehend the breadth of his love. It means this one. Everyone is welcome to his family through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no one that is excluded. All right? The prayer to comprehend the length of God's love. Could it be a reminder that God's love is one that is long enough even to last into eternity? If you remember in verse 7 from chapter 2, that through a faith in Jesus Christ, one is seated in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Hear me. The length of God's love for us extends into eternity. All right. Because it is is only the age to come when we will really experience the fullness of God's riches. God's love is not just for a season. Hear me. God's love is forever forever. Knowing this should give comfort and hope to believers, even if now things are difficult, it doesn't mean, listen, God's love is gone. Then the height of God's love reaches to those heavenly places I just mentioned, but you can be assured this, that God's love is high enough to take you to heaven. Last, Paul's prayer for them to comprehend the depth of God's love. By mentioning the depth of God's love, Paul may be wanting to remind us that no matter how deep things seem in your life, God's love can reach them. If you think your sin is too deep for God, I can tell you it's not deeper than God's love. God can truly reach no matter how deep your sin might go. He can reach the deepest hurt. You might think, I've been hurt too deeply to ever find healing. God's love can reach down deeper than your hurt and heal the hurt that you've experienced. You might think that my need is too deep. There's no way it's too deep for God's love. His resources are limitless and he can meet any need you have. God's love surely is deep. I will say when Paul prays that we would know the breadth, length, width, and depth, he realizes that it is somewhat an impossibility to fully grasp God's love this side of heaven. But he wants us to grasp it as fully as possible. That's why he's asking in this prayer because he knows, as I've been saying, in order for us to comprehend God's love, we need God's help. We cannot even grasp God's love on our own. It's also important to note a couple other things in regards to comprehending the greatness of God's love. First of all, comprehending God's love is beyond simple knowledge. Look at verse 19 again, where Paul prayed this for the Ephesian believers. I love this verse, look. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Keep it up for just a second. Think about what he said here. It's if Paul prayed that we would know what is unknowable. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Does that strike anybody funny but me? It's like Paul said, to know almost what is unknowable. He was praying for them to know something and that surpasses knowledge. Maybe that's confusing to you. Is that a little confusing? Well, here's what Paul's wanting. He's wanting these believers to grasp God's love that goes simply beyond, you ready? Simply beyond an intellectual consent. Beyond simply knowing facts. To know the love of God includes experiencing God's love so that you can grasp it. Let me try to explain. I can read in the Bible, John 3, 316. Many of you know that verse, right? Y'all know how it goes. Maybe you even know it by heart, right? For God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I mean, you can read that verse, and when you get finished, you can say, oh, I now know that God loves me. The verse has told me that, right? But if you do, all you've done is this. All you've done is given the intellectual consent. You can memorize the verse. You can repeat it over and over saying that that verse tells me that God loves me. And that's true. But do you really know God's love at that point? No. Because if all you've done is read a verse, you still haven't experienced God's love so that you know his love. For example, in my life, I knew John 3, 16 when I was a kid, very young. I memorized it early in life as a kid. Not only did I know it, there's a lot I knew about it. I I could tell you all the background behind that. I I could tell you, listen, what, what it meant that Jesus came and that he died, that he went to a cross for my sin. I could tell you he was sinless. I could tell you he was born of a virgin. I could tell you the whole story of Jesus. I could tell you three days later, he rose from the grave. I could tell you all of that as a kid. I knew about God's love that was shown through Jesus Christ. But you know what I didn't know? I didn't know God's love. I had all the intellectual knowledge that I needed. I had it all there, but I didn't know God. But I'm going to tell you, there is a time, which is what Paul is praying for, when that all changed for me, then it went from I know God's love to I know God's love. Because there was a time where what God did in my life was this. He convicted me of my sin. And I knew I was the sa- sinner that needed that Savior. And I knew that my only hope of ever being saved was through Jesus Christ, this one who died for me. And I had a moment where I was convicted of that sin. And I prayed and I invited Jesus Christ to come into my heart. And when he came into my heart and saved me, I experienced his love for the first time for real. And at that moment, I can say I knew God's love. All right? Th- that's what Paul is praying for. He is praying for, listen, that we have something that just goes beyond facts, just goes in intellectual knowledge, that we know God's love that goes beyond knowledge. You, you understand? You see, knowing God's love this way is, listen, when you read the Bible, that God's love is a love that calls you to love your enemy and pray for those that persecute you, and, it, it, and, and you say, I, I know God's love, but listen, that, it, it becomes something you know when this happens, when somebody comes against you and persecutes you, and you love them anyway, Right? And you love them and you say, I can understand, but, but I know God's love because I forgave them even though they didn't ask for my forgiveness. And in that, I, I experienced this great peace from God. And in that moment, guess what? You knew God's love that he'd been calling to you. Again, that's what he's praying for. The, the, the love that Paul is praying for believers is, is, is known it, 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 to know when you say, I know that God loves me and I know that God cares for me. But listen, you don't really know that love at that point, but here's what happens. When you begin to walk through a sickness, you begin to walk through a tragedy, you begin to walk through a death, or something that brings great pain in your life, but you experience God's love that gives you strength and peace where you can say, I know God is loving to me now, even in the midst of my pain. The experience of that love grows you and takes you deeper with God and allows you to love Him and others more and have strength in life that goes beyond yourself that you cannot explain. Do you hear what I'm saying? As you experience this love of God, it allows you to face other things that come your way because you're walking in God's love, confident of who he is in your life. Think about it this way. We kind of sang a little bit about him this morning. Think about David of the Old Testament. We think of him facing the giant Goliath, and we read that story with amazement. We read about his courage. We read with amazement that this young boy loves God so much that he can face a giant that is too great for him to defeat. But let's remember the reason for his courage as he faced that giant Goliath. Because he would already knew God's love. Right? He knew God's love when he was this little shepherd boy out in the shield field where nobody was watching him. No, no great audience out there, just him and the sheep. Right. And in that moment, as he faced dangers as the lions and the bears and all those things came, he, he was overwhelmed there, even with God's protection in those moments. And he realized in that small way, in that simple place, that excluded place that God loved him. And because he'd experienced it in that moment, when he was now standing in front of a giant, he could say, listen, hey, I'm okay. Why? Because I've already experienced my God. He loves me. I know his love. And now I might be in front of this giant that I can't be. But my God who loves me can. Right. You you get the point? God knew the love of God that affected how he faced every situation in life. Paul's praying for these believers to not just have an intellectual consent that says, I know God loves me, but instead a knowledge of God's love through their experiences where they can say, I know God loves me, even if they cannot fully explain what they feel or know in part because it goes beyond knowledge. Now, as he prays for these believers to comprehend and know God's love, look at what he also said. Look back at verses 18 and 19. He says, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Here's a phrase I want you to get, with all the saints. I don't want you to miss that phrase because we need to know that there is value in being connected with other believers and learning from their experiences. You know, as we seek to understand God's love more fully, we benefit as we gather with other saints and we hear their experiences of God's love. You wanna know something? We cannot experience everything. Can we? No. But what we can do is walk through experiences with others and we learn from them as they experience the love of Christ. And as others experience the love of Christ and we see their love grow, we too can grow from what we experience through their experience. Here's what I'm sure of. As David expressed what he knew of God's love, it affected those who looked on. Still affects us today, does it not? As Paul shared the love of God that he experienced, there's no doubt that those around him was affected. Paul was able to look at his imprisonment differently because he knew God's love and others were affected by his attitude and actions as they faced different challenges. If you want another reason why it's so important to be connected to the church and other believers, here it is, so that you can have the strength to comprehend and know the love of Christ. Now, after praying for believers to know and comprehend the love of Christ, Paul then prays for something that in the request actually states why he prayed for these other things. Look at the end of verse 19 that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, why did Paul pray these things for believers? Because he wanted them to be filled with the fullness of God. Now, what does that mean? because right, there's no way that a human can contain all of God in their lives, right? Think about it, if you contained all of God in your life, you'd be like a water balloon overfilled with water. <laughs> you'd burst, right? I can't contain all of God in my life, I know that, right? So what's it mean to be filled with that? Well, what Paul wanted for the believers was probably the same thing that Jesus prayed in John 17, 26, when he prayed this. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and what? I in them. Here's what both Paul and James wants for believers. I believe ultimately it is to experience the perfection of God that we will experience someday in heaven. Not that we will be God, but we will be perfect someday. Paul wants us to experience that, and someday we will. But in the meantime, while we walk on the earth, still in our imperfection, both Jesus and Paul want us to be filled so much with God and His love that with each and every passing day that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. Filled with God's strength and love through His Spirit and be witnesses of that love to a lost and dying word. In other words, as people on this earth see our lives, that they would get a glimpse of who God is through the way we live our lives. Ray Steadman summarized it this way. It is the condition in which God is in possession and controlling of our lives, enriching us, blessing us, and strengthening us. Our faith is strong and vital, and we are reaching out ministering and as Paul puts it in, earlier, we are God's workmanship, and we will discover the good works to which we have been foreordained, all right? Do you understand? Here's what he's saying, that we should be so filled with God that we cannot help but live in a way that both pleases Him and that at the same time ministers to others with the goal of others coming to know the love of God. When this happens, we really see grace made visible, Now, here's what some of you might say in response to what I've shared this morning. You can say, Brother Scott, that's impossible. Maybe you look at your life and say, Scott, if you you knew the battles that I have in my inner being, you would know that there's no way I can overcome the fears, the anxiety, the doubt, the hurt that I have. Or maybe you look and say, you know, God's love is great, but there's no way as bad as my sin is that God can reach me and change me. There's no way that His love can heal my hurt. There might be some of you who say, I don't think there's any way I will ever experience God's love in the way that you say. I know what the Bible says. I've memorized some verses in the past, but but I think that's all it's ever going to be. I don't think I can ever experience God's love in a deep way. Or maybe you are one who says it will be impossible for me to ever live in a way where people look at my life and say, that must be what God's love looks like. I've been trying, but I just cannot live for God. If any of those are true of you this morning, you have something else that maybe, or something else that comes to your mind, and you say it's impossible, all right, for these words to be true in my life, hear how Paul closes this prayer beginning back in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Amen. Paul ends his prayer as he should by giving glory to God. And in giving glory to God, Paul is reminding us that what he has just prayed for is not something that believers can accomplish on their own, but what God can and will do in the lives of believers who place their faith in him. All right, I I can assure you today that God truly, hear me, truly is able to do more than we ask or think. When we look at the lives of believers, what every life should do is this, is give glory to God. We should be able to look at the lives of those who claim Jesus as Savior and say, "What what a good work God has done and is doing." Our lives should call others to praise God. We should be able to look at lives and be amazed at what God has done and is doing. I, I might even say this: if we think that God, if what God can do in and through you is based on your ability, then you are failing to see all that God offers to your life. For he is able to do far more than we are able to ask or think. Okay. As we prepare to close this morning, my prayer is the same as Paul prayed. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God and so as we come to a time of invitation my hope is that some of you today would experience God doing a work in you that maybe you didn't expect or even believe possible I, I pray that there are some this morning you came in and in your inner being, there is a hurt or a fear or an insecurity that God has spoken to this morning. And by faith, by faith, God works to strengthen you so that you might put it aside and that you might walk differently in the Lord as you leave. I pray that there might be some who this morning who for the first time understand God's love in a different way and though you felt out of the reach of God's love or that God's love had run out for you or that it couldn't meet your need, that today you understand God's love differently and by faith you let God's love work in your life. Maybe it is even to come this morning and give your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe you experienced his love overwhelm you this morning and something now is different. Maybe today is a day you heard John 3, 16 for the thousandth time, but today it became real to you and you know it is you that needs a savior and you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ. If so, I say come. Maybe today is a day that you realize the greatness of what God can do and you've been saying no to God, but now you're going to say yes because for the first time you realize that he can do far more than you ever ask or think. You see, I'm not sure what God is saying to you, but my prayer is that if you heard the voice of God this morning, that you would respond and that he would get glorified. And hear me, I don't care this morning, maybe you heard his voice through a song that we sung. It's not about whether you heard it through this preacher or not, but that you heard God's voice. Maybe it was as you walked in this morning and you saw another believer and something there, it clicked about God's love even for you as they loved you and you didn't feel loved before you walked to the door, but after that, you did and you've had an encounter even before a song was sung or a word was preached where God showed himself to you this morning and you're ready for something to change. I don't care when or how it's happened, but if this morning God's spoken to you and there's something that he's wanting to do in your life, here's what I say during this invitation. Respond to God. And even if this morning you say, I don't know, I still think I'm too hopeless. Why don't you just come to this altar and say, God, I heard him say that you're able to do more than I could ever think or imagine. And right now, I I don't think or imagine that you can do or ask what, what, what needs to be done. But God, I'm coming because I need you. And maybe you'll come and just meet him at this altar. And who knows, God may overwhelm you here this morning. As you just kneel by faith to him and say, God, I need you to work in my life this morning. Come, just bring it to him. Let God work because hear me what I said today. You understand that I'm not asking you to do anything this morning other than have faith in God because that message, that prayer of Paul didn't have anything for you to do other than to say, I have faith in the God who can do these things. And God wants to do something in lives this morning. I have no doubts. I have no doubt. And so during this invitation, if God wants to do a work in you, would you come? Kneel before a holy God. Again, confess your faith. Whatever he's leading you to do this one, you come during this invitation as we sing in just a moment. Would you pray with me, Father? Lord, what a great prayer that Paul offered up for these Ephesians. A prayer that I have no doubt that is a prayer that he even prayed for us today. And one that, Father, I know is on my heart for those gathered here today. That all that Paul prayed, that we too would experience. God, I know today we, we need your love. We need you to move. Father, this morning, I have no doubt this morning that according to your riches, we need to be strengthened with your power by the Spirit in our inner being. And so, Father, this morning, strengthen some of in that inner being. Others this morning, Father, they need to come and be rooted in your love and grounded in your love. So may they come and experience your strength to do those things. And Father, this morning, there are some that this morning, they just need an experience with you here. They've heard of your love. They've got an intellectual knowledge. But Father, they need it to go deeper this morning. And so for some of them, Father, my prayer would be that your spirit would speak and overwhelm so greatly. That they would know it was your voice. And they could say before they leave here today, now I know God. And so, Father, move in this moment, I pray. And again, let your spirit take complete control in Jesus' name. Amen.